you'll know that we started a series called The Great Exchange. Uh, and the idea behind this series, hopefully it's going to come up on the screen, is really to shine a spotlight on our way of life in society that looks appealing, but actually ultimately does harm to our souls. And to contrast the way of society and the way of the world with the way of Jesus, which is beautiful, life-giving good news. And that as we say yes to following Jesus and adopting his way of life, he offers us a beautiful or a great exchange. Peace for anxiety, a slower pace for hurry, community over isolation, which is what we're going to talk about today. Contentment over consumerism and ultimately life over death. You see society, the world around us, the message that we are getting all the time in culture is this, you're never alone. You're always connected. You always have people around you. We live in a 24-hour connected digital age, yes, where we can go online, we can be with people all the time, and society tells us you're never alone. You're never isolated. You're never without people. But is that actually true? It sounds nice as a slogan or as an advert, but is it actually true? Well, if studies are to be believed and research is to be believed, then the answer would suggest that the message of society isn't quite as true as we're led to believe. If you're able to, I know you've just sat down, if this half of the room are able and comfortable just to stand up for a moment, just for a little bit of a visual exercise. Studies in our society suggest that up to 45% of people in our culture feel lonely and isolated, sometimes often, or always. Half of our, half the people in this room, 45% of people in our society, but also probably 45% of people in this family, feel isolated and lonely and struggling to connect with people, either regularly, sometimes, or all the time. It's quite a powerful illustration when we think it's not just an issue out there. Maybe it's an issue in here too, that people here feel lonely and cut off and isolated. Thank you, guys. You can grab a seat now. And what's even more interesting about studies and research is it shows that young people aged 16 to 29 are actually, in fact, twice as likely to experience loneliness and isolation than people over 70. This is not an issue that's just exclusively to people who are older in life. Actually, this is an issue that is prevalent and rife among the young generation today. The most digitally connected, yet the most isolated generation in a history. And loneliness and isolation is actually as dangerous to our health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's actually worse for you than obesity. It increases the risk of heart disease and strokes, let alone the impact on our mental and emotional well-being. And far be it from, we think, loneliness is just for people that are on their own. You can be married and have children and be very lonely. Because loneliness isn't just about an absence of people. Loneliness is a felt need where you feel disconnected from people at a deep, personal, and relational level. You could feel lonely when you live in a different nation or culture from your background or your home. You might feel lonely if you don't have anyone to walk life with closely. You don't have people that you can be honest with and real with. You might be suffering from a long-term health condition or a disability that just makes you feel very disconnected from people. You might experience and live with a massive degree of FOMO, the fear of missing out, because you see all your friends having fun connecting with each other, and inside you're just dying, going, I'm so alone. I'm so isolated. 
And we all know the effects of Instagram, TikTok, Facebook on our hearts, where we look and say, how comes everyone else is having fun and I'm all alone? How comes all my friends are connecting, yet I'm just the one being left out? You might move away from friends or family. You might have a change of season of life. The kids might have just recently left home and you're feeling that the house is a bit empty and I just feel really alone. You see, we live in the most digitally connected generation ever been, yet we face an epidemic of loneliness and isolation. Something is deeply wrong. Our world has promised us and delivered us 24-hour connectivity to anyone anywhere in the world. Next day delivery, endless Netflix streaming series at any time, on any device, wherever you are in the world, but it's actually led us down a lane and a narrow path it is of loneliness and isolation. And let's just personalize this for a moment. Let's not put it out there. Maybe you're here today and you're in the 45%. You don't want to admit it, but actually internally, you just know that you are lonely. And that's not just because you're on your own, but you feel lonely and you feel cut off and you feel disconnected. We know that COVID was a great disconnector and maybe it's accelerated your feelings of loneliness or isolation. Let me tell you this this morning, there is a better story in the way of Jesus. There is a better story in the way of Jesus if you're feeling like that this morning. And if you're not feeling like that this morning, there's a better story because God has created something called the church, which is his heartbeat and his way of life, which is a counterculture to an isolated and fractured society. Each one of us in this room, whether we are isolated or feeling it or not, is actually the answer to the issue in our society. The way of Jesus is a better story because the story of the Bible is this, God being in community. And us being in community with God, first and foremost, and with others. others. You see, community in the story of God actually starts with the Trinity. It actually starts with who God is. We've been singing and we've been worshipping this morning about God. And actually, if we're to understand biblical community, we need to first understand the nature of God and who he is and what he is like. Because the Bible's worldview is this of God. God is three in one, yet one in three. He is Father, he is Son, and he is Holy Spirit. And the Father and the Son and the Spirit have existed together in perfect, loving, joyful community, in mutual and sacrificial love, preferring one another from forever until forever. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we worship. Father, Son, and Spirit living together in beautiful, perfect community. And we see some of this in John chapter 17, which is going to come up on the screen. I'm just going to read a little bit from the book of John. This is in Jesus' famous prayer in John 17, when he's praying that the, 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 the world would be one as him and the Father are one. Jesus says this. He's praying. He says, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. He goes on to pray this in verse, what we now got, verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Before creation, before Genesis chapter 1, in the heavenlies exists relationship, community, and love 
that comes first. Relationship, community, and love comes first. Father, Son, and Spirit glorifying and loving each other. And so at the heartbeat of the Christian worldview is a God who exists in community and in self-sacrificial and self-giving love. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Father loves the Spirit. The Spirit loves the Son. And so on and so on and so forth. And so when God breathes into the darkness of the world, he does so out of community and out of relationship and out of love. He doesn't create because he's a bit lonely in the heavens. He does so from a place of community and love and that flows into his creation. And so when he gets to his pinnacle moment, the highest point of his creation, and he says he makes man and woman in his own image, he does that to reflect God to fill the whole earth with the glory of God, to be invited into the community of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and to live in community with one another, which reflects the very essence and reality of who God is. You see, the church exists because God is a community, a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, we know the biblical story that sin spoils everything. It fractured our communion with God, this beautiful sense in the garden of Adam and Eve walking with God in the garden in the cool of night, that's fractured when sin enters the world. But not only is our relationship to God fractured, our relationship to one another gets fractured. And the story of Scripture is one of restoration. The story of Scripture is one of restoration, ultimately through the person of Jesus Christ, sent by the Father to come to earth to lay down his life as a once and for all sacrifice to restore that which was broken in the Garden of Eden. And the result of that is restored community with God and restored community with one another. What we need to understand is that community in the kingdom of God is not some nice idea, it's not some afterthought, it's actually how we represent God to the earth because God is a community in of himself and he creates out of that into us. So as we learn to live in community, we're actually representing God to the earth, amen? We're actually representing what this God is like in in, in our relationships and how we operate and how we love one another actually reflects the heartbeat of God. It's actually who he is. You see, on the cross, Jesus forms this new, wonderful, beautiful community that we call the church. You see, when you choose to follow Jesus, when you say, I want to follow the way of Jesus, and I want to give myself to him, this is what happens. You get restored relationship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and you get restored relationships and restored community, that which was broken in Eden. Community over isolation. Jesus has traded us community for loneliness and isolation because community is essential to life with Jesus. We cannot follow him alone. Community is utterly essential to fulfilling God's purposes on earth because the self-giving love and sacrifice that comes as we live out in community reflects the heartbeat of the God that we've been singing about and worshipping about today. It's no wonder God says at the beginning, it's not good for man to live alone. Because he knows that we are called to be in community, first with him, and secondly with one another. It's not some afterthought, it's at the heartbeat and the core of what it means to live under the God of the Bible and of the Christian worldview. That God is a community 
and he, and, he, and he creates, and it flows out of him, community, self-giving love, and sacrifice. Only God. We've been singing that song, haven't we, loads this year. Only God. Only God can restore relationships truly. Amen? Only God can restore relationship to him and relationship to one another. The community of the church is unique. Let me tell you this. It's unique in the purposes of God because it flows from the Trinity. It flows from the nature of who God is. Let me just read some things about what the community of God's people is like. God's church is a community. There should be a slide for this as well. It's a community that is eternal. I put some scripture references up there so you know I'm not talking rubbish. It's eternal. It displays the wisdom of God. The community of God's people is built on a foundation of love. It's built on laying ourselves down for the sake of serving other people. It exists not just for its own members, but to bring life and healing and hope to the world. God's people represent God to the world. God's people belong together just like a physical body is intertwined and dependent on one another. It belongs together. It cuts through racial and social divides like no other community in the world can. It seeks to meet one another's needs at great cost and great expense personally. And it seeks to help one another flourish as followers of Jesus. This is God's heart for his people. This is what he longs for. This is what he's coming back for. One day, around the throne, every tribe and tongue and nation gathered around, worshipping Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. But we know it's not that simple, right? We know it's not that easy. We know building family and building community isn't that simple. Most of us in this room crave deeper community. I think I'm okay and safe in saying that. Most of us crave deeper fellowship, deeper relationships, and deeper community. And our experience of community and relationships seems to sort of be like this pale shadow of what we've just looked at and what Jesus calls us to and the nature of the Godhead. It sort of feels like, hold on, that's over there, but our reality and experience is somewhere over here. And we live with this tension, don't we, of, God, I, I believe you say that in your word, but that isn't really my experience of the people of God. That isn't really my understanding. I've never really experienced when I say, a family that seeks to lay itself down for the sake of others. What does that even mean in our culture? How do we actually work that out? It's not that easy because there's barriers. There's challenges that we have to face up to. And I just want to run through a few of these, and then we're going to respond all in the next five minutes. So let's go. This first point was something that was actually my last point before, but when I woke up this morning, I really felt God pressed it on my heart. We are in a battle, friends. The reason why community is hard is because we're actually in a battle. I don't know if you know that. The Christian life is not a walk in the park, but it's actually an invitation into spiritual warfare. Building community is spiritual warfare. I don't know if you ever thought about that. The biblical worldview is this. There is a God from whom flows life and blessing and wholeness and healing and joy and peace. And there's an enemy. Satan, the devil, his powers, his principalities, who's a thief, he's a robber, he's a destroyer. God's design is relationships and community. What's the opposite of that that the enemy wants us to do? Isolate you from others. Make you believe the lie that no one is there for you, that no one really cares for you, 
that you are alone, that there isn't anybody else out there for you, and that is a battle. And as you believe those lies, what happens? You distance yourself further and further and further away from people until such a point you are so disconnected from others that you think there's no way back. We aren't to see building community as just some natural exercise. This is actually spiritual warfare. I believe one of the main ways that the enemy is operating in our culture is to disconnect us from one another. I really believe that as I felt and prayed this morning. I really believe the enemy is at work in disconnecting relationships because if the body only works when it's connected, if an arm is cut off from a hand, it's useless. And the enemy is disconnecting and isolating us from one another. Think about this. In 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah, the great prophet, has just had one of the most amazing victories he's ever going to have over the prophets of Baal. And yet he's afraid of the prophetess Jezebel. And so he runs and he hides in a cave. And he says to God, God, I am the only one out there. I'm the only one left who hasn't bowed down to false gods. And he's basically believing a lie. He succumbed to what I would say is spiritual warfare. That there's a battle for his life, there's a battle for his mind and his ministry, and he isolates himself and he cuts off and he's in a cave and he's hiding. And God calls him out and he says, Elijah, over here, there's actually 7,000 others like you. There's actually 7,000 others like you. You actually have a family. You have a community. You see, I really believe the enemy's tactics is to isolate you from others and to help you. And actually, when we're isolated, we believe lies about who we are and about who God is and what other people are like. And we start to mistrust one another and we start to get frustrated at one another. He's an, the, the evil one is an isolator. He's a disconnector. God's design is relationships and community. We are actually in a battle. And one of the ways we fight the battle is this, choosing into community and choosing into one another. Actually how we fight the way of the devil and the way of his principalities and powers. That's the first one. We're in a battle. I really want us to understand that this morning. If you feel like this morning, man, it feels hard work and I feel lonely, you need to understand that there's a war for your soul. There's a war for your soul, but Jesus offers a solution. It's called his people. So choose in. Choose in to his family and you will find life and wholeness and flourishing and healing because that's how God operates. We find wholeness in community. Secondly, we actually do have the wrong priorities. As a leader, there have been many, many times when people have said to me something along these lines. I've got no community here, but I'm too busy to do anything about it. And that breaks my heart. That utterly breaks my heart. Now, there will be circumstances and seasons of life where this might be true for you, where you really struggle to, to, to build relationships. You might be working all hours just to make enough money to pay the bills. You might be a, in a, a kind of single mum trying to juggle life and all the things. How on earth am I doing? You might be struggling with a health condition. You might be caring for somebody. And so it becomes really, really hard to connect and to build community. That might be true. But for 90% of us here, I would say this. I hope this is provoking. We are simply making a choice to prioritize things at the expense of community. We are simply making a choice. It's not actually a time issue. It's a priority issue. It is a priority issue for most of us. I'll get to it when I retire, or when the kids leave home, or when this project is done, or when this great Netflix series is finished. All the while, 
if we choose out of community, we're actually doing harm to our souls. That's what we need to understand. When we choose out of God's people, we actually do harm to our souls because of the very nature of how God made us to be. And here's the, here's the reality. Building New Testament community will cost you time and energy and emotions, and it will hurt. It will hurt. I can say that. It will hurt. But it's beautiful because that's the kingdom of God at play. And because he's a God of community and he creates us for family and for community. And so the question for most of us here today is, do we really value community enough to let it cut into our way of life? Do we really value it enough to cut into our way of life? Thirdly, sometimes we have the wrong motivation or the wrong heart. I think it's fair to say a society has this kind of contractual view of relationship. You give and you get, yes? And something's really only worth investing into if you get a return on that investment. And so, you know, if that person can serve what I need, well, I'll build with them. If they can't, then, well, is there much point, really? And we'd be very naive to think that doesn't cut into the church, right? We'd be very naive to think that doesn't cut into our way of thinking. It's not really doing it for me, so I won't bother. Sundays, they're a bit mm, sometimes, so I'll come when I feel like it. Actually, this person over here, I can build a relationship with them because they're quite like me, and I'll get something in return from that relationship. That does cut into our way of thinking if we're, if we're willing to be honest with ourselves, just for a moment. And we'd be naive to think that the way of the world doesn't cut in. But listen to this. The Trinity is so other-orientated. Father, Son, and Spirit is based on self-giving, sacrificial love, and submission. To put others' needs above your own, to serve, to defer, mutual self-giving is actually what we're made for. And so as we learn to give out of ourselves, what we actually find is we find we really discover who we are. Because we're actually made to be a people who sacrifice and lay ourselves down for the sake of others. Christian community is actually a race to the bottom. It's a race to go low. I go low, you go low. It's like, oh, who can go lowest? It's like the ultimate game of, um, what's that called? Limbo, yeah, which I'm rubbish at because I'm six foot four and got a bad back, as you can tell. And maybe you're here and you think, do you know what? I've actually got community, thanks. I've got some friends and fa- I've got family, got friends. I'm all right, thanks. But do you know what kingdom community is? Kingdom community is about going to the fringes. It's about going to the edge and saying, hey, there's people in this family who very few people are going to want to come towards. And I'm going to go there. I'm going to be the one who goes to the fringes. I'm going to be the one who goes to the edge. And I'm going to say, hey, can we build together? Let me love you. Let me serve you. Let me honor you. I am really running out of time. The last one of this is really important. Then we're going to respond. Some of you are weary and you're hurting. Maybe you've experienced something of community, but it's gone because people have moved on or they've moved away. And you just think, I just can't go again. I just can't. I can't try again and again and again. Maybe you've never really known it. Maybe you've lived a lot of your Christian life and you think, I'm not even sure this kind of community exists. So you just think, do you know what? I'll give up. No thanks. I'm done with that. I'm not going to bother. I'll just come to church on a Sunday. I'll leave again. It's fine. I'll I'll be okay with that. Thanks. Maybe you're here and you've given up believing that we're ever going to see real breakthrough in the whole area of racial reconciliation and diversity in the church. You just think, ah, no, it's not going to happen. So you just feel weary and tired. Or maybe you've been hurt and wounded in community, because it does happen here or elsewhere, and you just don't know where to go, you just don't know where to turn, your heart is bruised, your heart is tired, your heart is hurting. 
And so you're just like weary and you're tired and you're worn out and you're hurting. And you just think, God, can I really go again? Can I really go again? Jesus offers us a better story. He went again with his disciples when they deeply let him down. They abandoned him on the cross. They totally failed him at Gethsemane. And in John chapter 21, Jesus eats with them on the beach and he calls them in and he commissions them to change the world. If, Jesus, if anyone should have given up, it would have been Jesus. Yet he didn't. He says to his disciples, come follow me. They let him down and he says, I'm going to restore you and watch how I use you to change the world. Our society is unintentionally leading us down a pathway of loneliness and isolation, and God offers us a better story with relationships and community and love at the very nature and the core of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But it's hard. But it's hard because we're in a battle. It's hard because our choices and our motivations and our experiences sometimes mean we find it hard to know where to go, what can we do, how can we take steps. And I want to land with this, really. And I just want to ask us to be vulnerable, if you want to be. Vulnerability is a choice, not because someone on a microphone said it. Yeah, please don't respond because I've said this. But I feel like this as I've been praying this week. Sometimes responding requires us to be vulnerable before God, but also before our friends in the kingdom. Yes? And so I want to really land by asking you some questions and if any of these are true for you, I would like to invite you to stand before God and before your family. Not to embarrass you or anything like that, but because I think what happens is we're real and vulnerable before God and before others, that breakthrough and change actually comes. Because the enemy, he's the one who holds things in darkness. Jesus is the one who brings things to light. And so standing before friends, trusting one another with our vulnerability, actually will bring life and breakthrough into us. And then, then we're just going to gather around you and pray. So if any of these statements are true of you, I'd just like to invite you to stand. And I just believe God wants to do something in a moment in that. You are weary or you're cynical of building community and you're just not sure you have the motivation to go again. I'll read all three and then you can stand. You're weary and cynical of building community and you're just not sure you have the motivation to go again. You've been hurt, and you don't know what to do next. Or you feel like Elijah in the cave, isolated, lonely, believing the lies of the enemy that you have no one to turn to. If any of those are you, I'd just like to invite you, if you feel comfortable and you're willing to be vulnerable, just to stand before us, before us as a family. It takes real courage to be vulnerable in a family. I'm just going to give it 30 more seconds. If anyone else wants to, that's fine. If not, that's okay.
want to honour those who have just, just responded now. For these friends, family, brothers and sisters who have just stood up right now, I just wonder if you're near them, would you stand with them? Would you stand with them? Stand around them? Because God's placed us in a family. And we'd, you don't have to ask them what's going on. I just want to invite you to lay a hand on their shoulder. Into these, into these people who have stood. Because we're a family together. And the message for kids will go up in just one second. Just want to invite you just to stand before others. Stand with others. And simply just start to pray over them into whatever it is that they're feeling. God, would, would you just start to speak truth over them? Just start to speak truth over them of who they are in God. Of how God sees them. Of what God is like. And just start to pray the blessing of heaven upon these men and women. And remind them that they've been grafted into family and community because of the nature of God and what he's like. So for those who are praying, just keep praying. Those who aren't, I just want to say that um, if you feel like God's been speaking to you this morning, but you don't feel like you want to stand, that's okay too. But what I'd invite you to do is to find a trusted friend in this family, find a trusted Christian brother or sister, and just go, hey, I'm feeling like this. Be, learn to be vulnerable somewhere. If it's not in a public space like this, that's fine, but learn to be vulnerable somewhere. Trusting that as you're vulnerable, God will breathe life into your heart and into who you are and into the nature of who God is. So I just want to pray over us. Father, would you bless this family in the name of Jesus? And would you do good in this community? Lord, I bless my brothers and sisters here today that we would be a family that loves you, that seeks the best for one another. Lord, that chooses community over isolation and loneliness. I pray this in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much.